The future of fitness is here. Be a part of it. NASM's new virtual coaching course will equip you with the skills, tools, and strategies necessary to launch, operate, or transition your current fitness or wellness business to a successful virtual coaching business. As a virtual coaching specialist, you'll open yourself up to a whole new world of opportunities, being able to help clients from around the world anywhere and anytime. It's the ultimate flexibility as a trainer, while also creating new revenue streams. Start the next phase of your training career with NASM's Virtual Coaching Specialization. Sign up today at nasm.org or call 1-800-460-6276. You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie. Thank you so much for being here today. And I want to point something out. In the previous episode of the NASM CPT Podcast, or a few back, there was a sneak attack. Uh, The sneak attack was, in fact, a different podcast called the Fitness and Wellness Masterclass Podcast. And it's a podcast that I was like, it popped up. And I was like, I don't remember having this topic. I don't remember reading about it or having a conversation about it or presenting on it. And then I realized it was uh, another podcast that slipped in there and gave you the opportunity to listen to something new that NASM is doing. And I wanted to listen to it. And the thing I love about it is that you can earn continuing education credits, CECs, by listening to it, going online, paying a $35 fee, taking a quiz from listening to the, uh, the podcast called the Fitness and Wellness Masterclass Podcast by NASM. And this one was on hydration. So I'm usually here with a a big old cup of coffee and I'm here with crystal clear water right now drinking during this podcast, yes. Uh, And so I encourage you to listen to that podcast. And if you need CECs or CEUs, you can get those by listening, going online, paying for it, taking a quiz based off the podcast and you too can get your continuing education credits. I believe it is 0.2 credits for each one of those. $35 fee allows you to do it. And if you don't want to pay the fee, you can simply learn by listening to the podcast anyway. It's brilliant. All right. Speaking of brilliant, today I have a wonderful guest with us. And uh, I was she was brought to my attention by presenting at Optima. And uh, her name is Abby Griffith. And she did a presentation at Optima on um, disordered eating. And this is gonna be an important conversation for us to have today. So I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to have this discussion. And as you know, if you are watching the Facebook Live as this is going on, you can ask questions. And so Abby and I are gonna talk for a little while. We're gonna learn from her and then you'll be able to ask some questions. And I want this to be a pretty engaging session. so please, please, as you listen to it, start to, to put your questions in. Our producer, Greg, will gather those questions and then we'll ask those questions as we get toward the end. And with all of that said, Abby, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It is wonderful to have you present today. And I want you to do just a little bit for us. Tell us uh, a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what your background is, and your education and your experience regarding disordered eating. 
Awesome. Sounds good. So hi, everybody. My name is Abby Griffith. I am here in Atlanta, Georgia, technically Decatur, if you guys are familiar with the area. And I'm actually here in my office at Clarity Fitness, which is Georgia's first body positive wellness center. We've got classes, personal training, the whole shebang. It's a really great place. I love it so much. I'm so proud of this awesome. I used to live there, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. I was in Decatur. I lived on the corner of Claremont and Scott Boulevard. That's amazing. We're on the main square, like right behind the gazebo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh, no. okay. All, right. Yeah. All right. Now, you keep going. I'm going to stop interrupting. But you yeah, know, that was I, very I, good I gotta throw that out there. All right. Oh, no, who Decatur is. So that's perfect. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, so Decatur has been great. They're so amazing. Great community. Um, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, and went to school in Miami, Florida. So I've kind of been all over the place. I actually went to school for industrial engineering, and that's carried over a ton for the business side of things. I got my NASM CPT about three years ago now and have been in personal training as a client since I think fifth grade. So it's been a minute. Um, I've been really involved in eating disorder prevention and education since I found out that I was struggling actually in my junior year of college. So I had gone about 10 years dealing with anorexia and had had no idea. And that's unfortunately the case for a lot of people men, women, all shapes and sizes, who just really had no idea that that was something that was going on because a lot of the things that are very focused on in that disorder are very, very supported by society, which is things like weight loss and rigidity and pressure and control around food and exercise. And that's not what intuitive and tuning in and being there for yourself looks like necessarily. So that was my new passion after I figured out that that was going on and hope that I can educate people on that as well. So, so people have no idea. I can understand. I was listening to uh, the the fitness and wellness podcast, and I could understand how people don't know that they don't drink enough water. Mm-hmm. But it's harder for me to understand that people don't know that they're not having enough food. Can you dig into that a little bit and explain what's going on? Absolutely. So that is, I remember when I was first brought into therapy, there was this long sheet of questions that my therapist had sent my way. And it was, check the box. Yes, completely agree. Don't really care. Definitely disagree. And a lot of the questions that were in there were things like, I very regularly think about what I'm going to have for dinner, lunch, breakfast today, the next day. It's almost always on my mind. Um, I think about how much I'm going to be working out or what I'm going to have to do to make up for things that I have eaten or ways I haven't moved. Um, I feel guilty if I skip a workout. I feel guilty if I eat certain things. And while I'm not diagnosing anyone or saying that if you have said yes to any of these, you immediately have an eating disorder, those are actually things that are very, very, very common that can snowball and are honestly kind of an issue in themselves because there really doesn't need to be guilt and hostility towards yourself regardless of what you're eating. That mindset doesn't help you make different decisions. It doesn't help you fuel your body with things that feel good. It's just a way to beat yourself up. And that's not perpetuating health and wellness. That's this kind of toxic 
beat yourself up mindset that we need to start to shift away from, especially in the fitness and health industry. Since you've been through this, you've, it's a personal experience and I'm going to, I'm going to say thank you for sharing the story and making yourself vulnerable in, in front of our audience uh, to share your story. So I want to just dig into what that looks like a little bit more. How does, how does it start and how does that snowball into something that becomes a disorder? Definitely. So my story could be completely different than anyone else's, but personally for me, um, I was always raised in a family that was very type A, very perfectionisty, if that's a word, very much so. <laughs> Everyone was very, very focused on achievement, next level, next goal, to-do list, yeah. knock it off. And um, that's a that's a tough mindset to have on everything all the time. I think that it can be productive to a degree and doesn't need to be how you run all day every day because that can be very daunting and very obsessive when it gets escalated. Um, my family was very focused on weight loss all the time. There was a lot of negative body talk from both parents, from distant family, close family about what they hate about their body or how they wish that their body could change or how they wish that their physical abilities could change um, in terms of what they could lift or how fast they could run. And that was a big judgment factor that I was brought into from a very young age. I was going to healthy kids, healthy weight at five. I was going to Weight Watchers at eight. What? It was, yeah, it was a lot of stuff going on that was sending the message that weight loss is good. Weight gain is very, very bad all the time, no matter what. And so I just, that was normal for me. So that was what I moved through life, knowing and believing that if I gained weight, that was very bad, very unhealthy. And that's not true. That statement alone cannot be carried over to every situation always. And we need to, we need to start to look into weight gain might not mean health lost. And if you are looking at all the buckets of health, all of the components of wellness, social wellness, emotional, physical, and really taking in the big picture, just because you gained five, 10 pounds doesn't mean that you're in a really unhealthy situation. So that was, that was my start. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there are a lot of things there to, to break down. And so a couple of them are that's some real serious environmental factors that are going on. And the environment is just where you are and what influences you. So your environments are familial. They're the people you hang around with. They're, you know, you got it from the family and even extended family. Um, I, I, the, the community and the environment, which I find to be very interesting is that these companies and maybe Maybe the Weight Watcher classes uh, allowed, you know, the, a five-year-old to come in because they were thinking, well, this is part of an early adopting good thought process. But the purpose of being brought into it wasn't necessarily that. It was more, it seems, more that it was trying to prevent and keep. And there's this negative concern that's going on about any type of weight gain, which obviously for a five-year-old who has to develop their body, you know, there's there's so much to be broken down in this situation that um, I, I'm 
just, I'm bothered. I'm bothered by it. Um, you, you mentioned the wellness uh, components as well. And when I was in school, we talked about the wellness wheel and you mentioned it and those, those components could be environmental, which is what we were just talking about and intellectual. So what's it stimulating you intellectually, your social environment, physical environment, spiritual, financial, your job, your emotional uh, well-being. All of these are components of this wellness wheel, and and you can implement and put more things in it. And as a personal trainer, I feel like you know, we're we're good at the physical because that's why people come to us. But there are more components to that as well. And we should understand that our job as a fitness professional is not. And you mentioned it. I think it's wonderful. You've you've covered your bases really well, right? So we're not diagnosing anything but we need to be able to recognize mm -hmm. certain things. Um, can, can you now speak to us about maybe, um, what, what are they called? Like red flags mm -hmm. for eating disorders, red flags for, and different types of eating disorders. And if maybe you can kind of go down the list of what a few of these main eating disorders are, what they look like by definition, let us understand them a little bit better, and then what some of those red flags might look like. Definitely. So just for starters, um, the, the main eating disorders that you're gonna hear a lot are anorexia nervosa, which is your restriction of food, really trying not to eat. That's the most common one. That's what a lot of people see in the typical eating disorder world as the token eating disorder, but there are a lot more that are very, very less commonly recognized. There's binge eating disorder that is, in fact, an eating disorder. A lot of people say, oh, I binged on this, or oh, that person just needs to stop eating so much and get more focused. There's actual psychological stuff that's going on behind the scenes if it is to a degree of an eating disorder. And I think that that's really important to recognize that no matter how amazing of a personal trainer you are, if someone is truly dealing with binge eating disorder, there's other stuff that needs to be brought into that equation. So paying attention to that. Uh, bulimia, which is some kind of excreting what you have eaten. Some people use laxatives. Some people make themselves sick. There is a type of getting rid of, in air quotes for those who are listening, uh, what you have eaten by working out, which is an exercise-based eating disorder. So if people are constantly running the cardio up to make up for something that they might want to eat or something that they have eaten or had drank and drink drunk. <laughs> That's a really good way. Having some trouble conjugating today. <laughs> <laughs> All of the grammar is happening in my brain right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Continue. Okay. So those are those are some of the big ones. Um there's also a a new new understanding of one that has come out that's actually based with people who have diabetes. Um, insulin makes you less hungry, and some people have used that in terms of restricting. So they'll um, abuse medication or really use something that they have as a resource for a different serious health issue to help them restrict calories or help them keep their metabolism high or whatever it is that they feel like they're doing. And that's another very serious issue. So um, as on top of these major behavioral things that you can see happen, 
I really want to stress that it's not size specific. It's not gender specific. It's not age specific. A lot of people think that it's people that look like me that have eating disorders, and it's not. It's men. It's people of all races, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic statuses. Uh, and it's really important that we're not diagnosing oh, she doesn't have anorexia yet because she's not small enough, which was what led mm. me to living in a state of anorexia for a really long time. Because I was never, I, until the end, I was not in a place where my body was noticeably different or quote unquote abnormal. And that's a really unsafe standard to set someone having a problem on. Interesting. Yeah. Cause in my mind, I, I look at people and I some people, there's a clear association with an eating disorder, mm -hmm. um, or at least a clear assumption and, and based on how the size of a person is, and especially you might see somebody that's really small and they're exercising a lot. I want to break down a few things. One, um, a lot of people eat, and exercise. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my clients exercise so they can eat and they mm -hmm. like eating and they want to be able to do that. There's a, there's clearly a point where there is a disorder and there's also a range where that's clearly not going to be a disordered situation. As a type two diabetic, mm -hmm. I have more carbs on days that I know I'm going to work out. I have mm -hmm. fewer carbs on days that I know I'm not going to exercise because my blood sugar depends on that. Mm -hmm. And I can limit and restrict some of my medications because I can handle how my food intake and my exercise relate to each other. Food intake and exercise can relate to each other. Um, can you help us understand where that spectrum starts to get a little bit more concerning and when we need to um, deliver a different message to the people that are doing that. Definitely. So I think the, I like to think about exercise and movement or exercise and eating as two different pillars that are going toward the same wellness goal. So I totally love your example with being type two diabetic. I think that that's a great example of where we do need to play into what we know our body feels best in and is safest and using our medication wisely. I think that that's all exactly spot on. What I have a concern of is when people start to work out so that they can eat or eat so that they can work out. I think that when it's a do this so that you're allowed to do that in terms of I, if I don't work out, I will not have breakfast. If I don't work out, I will not give myself permission to have a drink that I want to have intuitively and responsibly with some friends tonight or have the taco dish that I was looking forward to. I'm not allowed to have that because I haven't done my workout or I haven't worked out enough. That's a slippery slope um, as well as the other way where I've had the tacos. Now I must burn them off of my body by working out to the calorie comparison. And I know that they are this many calories, so I have to cardio off this many calories or just that guilt factor. I've eaten this, so I must force myself to work out this way or this amount. 
And that's the tough part because I, as a fitness professional, totally get that there is somewhat of a balancing act that has to happen in terms of wellness, in terms of I am wanting to feel good. And if I eat 18 million hamburgers and never stand up off my couch, that will perpetuate the not feeling great situation. Not that hamburgers are off limits forever and permanently, but hey, maybe I would feel better if I ate this much and moved this much and just tuning into how you feel, but it's not doing one so that I can do the other and vice versa. I think that if you think about it as two separate, equally important pillars toward an overall wellness goal, that that helps it be from a place of my goal is to feel good and to live a long life and whatever else your goals might be. And that's the goal that I'm using for both of these, but I'm not doing one in exchange for the other, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think that there's, there's such a, you know, I don't, what I don't want to do is bring into question anything that might make people who have a disorder go, you know what, I agree with Rick on this, because I'm not trying to argue it. But what I am trying to do is find that balance. And I, um, I'm going to share a story of mine from this weekend, we had pizza. Pizza is not good for the old type two diabetic over here. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to be was only two small slices of pizza ended up being more, let's just say more, more. <laughs> um, and, and I thought I need to go for a walk after this and I definitely need to get a workout in tomorrow morning, um, which was not necessarily planned, but now I'm like, man, I need to get a workout in. I'm not doing that. I'm not punishing myself for eating the pizza but I'm trying to make a responsible decision. Um, it's also not something that occurs regularly. Um, it's something that I'm aware of that I have a pathology that my overall health and wellness depends on me being able to do that. I think it's also responsible after people have large meals and they go, you know what, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk at like a family. Let's just go out for a walk and enjoy the night but we had a big meal and we need to take some responsible steps. There's a difference between responsible steps and irresponsible. Um, uh, well, let's not even say irresponsible with punishing yourself and obsessively creating a sense of guilt around the amount of food you take in and the need, the compulsion, the have to of if I don't work out, then, and your series of if-thens, like a computer program, your series of if-thens starts taking you down a really bad place. It's a bad road that that doesn't have a, a healthy ending. And the shift towards understanding health and wellness versus size, mm -hmm. right, is, is totally different. And there's a size obsession there and you mentioned early on there are um you know that can be a hard world to live in when you're being perpetuated uh these visions of the supposed to be's and you had that from a young age in your experience um i do like the shift towards the appreciation for thicker bodies for more healthy bodies i'm a big fan of that in general but <laughs> through the fitness of it all i think that's very very nice to see the change starting to take place so i'm pleased with with what that looks like 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to associate guilt with anybody that does uh, a meal and says, man, I better make sure I get my workout in tomorrow. But the unhealthy turn of events that takes place um, is the punishment, the guilt associated. What are some of the other red flags that we as fitness professionals or any red flags, because we haven't discussed it, um, what are the red flags that we see? And then you also in your Optima session talk about triggering or for us maybe non-triggering and making sure that we're very aware of our words and what we use and how we speak with people. Definitely. I love I love how you just broke down the compulsion angle because that's a huge word. That's when it's when it's an I have to, when it's a guilt ridden, when it's for me, if I had had more pizza than I had planned and written into my fitness pal, I would have forced myself to go on the walk, even if I really didn't want to. And I would have made myself work out harder than I had wanted to the day before to burn off things. And that was a very compulsion based thing. And I definitely Mm -hmm. voiced that Mm -hmm. to my trainer. I was saying, um, give me a calorie burn for the week so that I can lose X pounds a month. Um, I was asking if I could track gum as calories. I was asking if I could track spinach leaves, individual leaves as calories. It's the compulsion and the level, the degree to which one obsesses that I think is the concern. And I totally, if if I'm eating a lot and feel like moving a little bit would feel good. Again, it's based on that feel good. That's That's what I would do, but it's not because I have to or I should. It's because that is what is going to make me feel better. And that's what sounds good. And that's what that family time with that walk sounds pleasant and sounds like what I want to do. And I think that that's then we open a whole new can of forms of some people just genuinely don't have that drive to work out for years at a time. Obviously, then we need to do some shifting. Maybe they have a really negative association of movement. Maybe they think that working out is only getting under a barbell and they don't want to do that. There's other stuff to go into with that realm. But I do think that just opening up the what makes you feel good, what sounds fun, what sounds like what you would enjoy as a long-term road to health instead of this monthly calorie knock it off kind of zone. Um, I was big on getting dizzy at my workouts. I was very regularly needing to sit down or lay down in a workout because I wasn't eating enough. I didn't know that at the time, but found that one out. Um, Body image comments. I ripped myself apart in terms of what I saw in the mirror, in terms of what I thought I should look like. Um, pinching and squeezing at your body is a concern point that you could look at if you see your clients kind of like pinching at their fat in the mirror. There's usually an association of judgment there, uh, something that they wish that they could remove from their bodies in some way, which might not necessarily be motivated from an empowered want to feel well, want to be well place. Um, and If we want to open up a really big can of worms, uh, one thing that helped me a ton was not associating the words good or bad to food. And I think that that is a whole debate. And I've had this conversation in lots of different ways with lots of different people. But when people say, I ate well, or this is good food, or this is bad food, or I've been good, or I've been bad, that adds moral judgment 
to what you're putting in your body. Oh, interesting. That is a very, very slippery slope because again, to the person that's struggling, they've done something good so they don't have to punish themselves or they've done something bad. So now they have to foster and harbor this guilt and this frustration with themselves. And I'm in no way saying that we should eat only the quote unquote bad foods, but you can start to shift the conversation and say, how many nutrient dense foods can you incorporate? How many energy dense, calorie dense foods can you incorporate? But use the word energy, not calorie. I was just drawing the drawing the parallel. But that's those <laughs> really good shifts to talk about food. Um, I would recommend not touching the topic of food with an eating disorder patient just to be safe and to cover your bases. But if let that be for the eating disorder professionals, just so that you can make sure that those triggers aren't there. But if you need to nutrient dense foods and energy dense foods, instead of good and bad and being good and being bad. And that's a really big topic that I think is very, very normalized. If you look at food labels, it's eat good. This is thin good bars. If you eat um, certain foods, um, this without the guilt is a huge marketing yeah. campaign. So people play into that. And a lot of fitness professionals might slip into saying those kind of things and perpetuating that kind of messaging too. That is very interesting. So now I do have a question because, um, you know, perhaps we do have individuals who have uh, disordered eating and mm -hmm. I'm concerned about them mm -hmm. and they're not uh, seeing a professional or they've not had a conversation with us. And so we're assuming that um, much like I often assume that my young daughter uh, has not done her homework. And so I ask her about it and she says, yes, I've done my homework. And then I say, can I see your homework? And then she gets really <laughs> mad at me. And she gets really mad and she gets really upset. And um, there's a line from Hamlet where it says, "Methinks the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of protests that go on. What I don't want to do though, I can do that with my daughter. Like she can protest it and then I can look at it and be like, well, you're really upset because in fact, you did not do your homework. Um, <laughs> now, that's that's a much more sensitive conversation to have with somebody because we're concerned, mm -hmm. but is is it our place to bring it up? Because mm -hmm. if somebody were, were overtly sick, if it was heart disease and I saw somebody holding their chest, I would ask mm -hmm. some questions regarding it. If it were any other thing going on, then I would ask questions, but here we don't want to offend. Mm -hmm. And there's a there's an association with it too, because it is a there's something going on inside somebody's mind. And we don't want people to have guilt associated with it. We want them to have wellness associated with it. We are out of concern bringing it up. Did did somebody bring it up to you at any point? Did you protest? Did you get upset with people that that maybe brought it up? And at what point did that shift where you're like, there is a problem and it needs to be addressed? But what can we also do as fitness professionals working one on one with clients or maybe in a group that we talk to somebody? And what can we say that doesn't 
I don't know, infuriate or, you know, make somebody walk away. And because we had, we had a woman at our gym one time and she was exercising for 120 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. She was incredibly small, but we had multiple gyms. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that every time a management would approach, and I'm not sure how it was done and I'm not, but she just stopped going to that gym and mm -hmm. then go to another one in this large network of gyms in New York City mm -hmm. to continue doing what she was doing because she didn't wanna be bothered by it. She didn't wanna hear it. Anyway, um, can you just kind of, I've just messed somebody's hair up and you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to clear that up. You're going to have to brush that all out. All right. I teased it. You got to clear it up now. Definitely. So that's a, that's a really great question. And it's very, very scary to have those conversations and to bring things up because like you said, it can go very poorly. It does happen. It's not, it's, it's just, you know, that it is worth it if it is to go the right way, or at least to plant the seed. And I know for me, uh, my trainer, only one of them, I had four, I believe, in my period of personal training, client-based living. And when I went to college, um, my trainer said, kind of passing on the way out, hey, don't get an eating disorder. And that was, that was what I got. And I was like, oh, don't worry, I don't like to throw up. And that was just, we were speaking in different directions. It was me not liking to throw up is an 18th of a massive equation that is an eating disorder based behavior system and a very, very, very small component of all of the different ways that that behavior might be carried out. And I, in fact, did already have one when I looked back at what the behaviors were and how focused and compulsive and hard on myself I was being. So um, a bigger conversation could be to check out this questionnaire. Um, I was trying to Google it, but I didn't want to make too many typey sounds. So I'm 99% <laughs> sure that it's the Hoff Health questionnaire. Um, and if it's the one that I'm thinking of, it's five questions that are very open-ended. And I believe NASM touches on this in the CPT for a little bit when they talk about um, just some things to be aware of. Um, and it's five questions that if you answer yes to them are a step in an understanding that someone might be struggling. And then at that point, and even if it's not, hello, I have this pamphlet, please fill it out. It could just be in conversation. Have you heard this client beating themselves up about the food that they've eaten? Have you heard them feeling guilt around their body or feeling like they should force themselves to look a different way? Or has have they been really obsessive compulsive about exercise and if we start getting some yeses then moving to the next steps of potentially getting a therapist involved if they're open to it and if they're not it's they're not and there are things that you can walk the walk and talk the talk and see if your example of being gentle and kind to yourself helps they're looking at you and your behaviors as a model. And if you are in there doing an extra hour of a workout after you do your hour workout, they're going to think that that's that more is more and better is more. And if you are able to show them, hey, I took a rest day because I did not want to work out at all today. And that's okay. And I'm not going to 
force myself to change anything about the rest of my day to make up for that because I know that overall I'm in this wellness routine and that that's not going to spiral anything, that I'm going to be fine and it's a day and it's not that big of a deal. And um, talking about different resources that you might have looked into for non-diet based food support, whether that's a non-diet based therapist or a nutritionist or just starting to tune into how you feel instead of what your external rules are about what you should and shouldn't eat. Um, I definitely think that there are there are ways to have that conversation that are, hey, I've seen this. I am not assuming anything. I'm not saying that you have anything going on. If you want some support, I'm here. My door is always open. You can text or call me. I also have some really cool connections. So let me know if you're open to any of those. If not, keep doing you. I support you. I just want to make sure that everything is fine. And I think that nine times out of 10, people are not going to pop off at you for saying it that way. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a beautiful way of saying it. It was non-judgmental. It was supportive. It was understanding. And uh, I, 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 I think it's good if just to go back and listen to what you just said like rewind it in this podcast a couple times and be like, oh, that's good. That's nice. I like that. Um, and, and, and again, if it was any other disorder, um, you know, if it was an ailment, an ongoing pathology that, you know, there's, I don't know, man, I just think about it again, being diabetic, there was a lot of guilt that I put on myself because I spent so much time in my life, even as a fitness educator, mm -hmm. telling people that it's a lifestyle disease. And then I got it mm -hmm. and I was like, wait a minute, did I mess up? Is there something wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And so I'm putting this kind of guilt on top of it and understand for myself that I need to, to know that it is a complex pathology. Mm -hmm. There is a series of complex issues and you're not a bad person for it. You're not a weak person for it. It is a situation that you're in. And to remove that guilt and that concern that you're weak because of something or that you are less than, or I can't have this conversation with people. And, and I think it's interesting because I feel like there's so many people that have had eating disorders that that spent so much time hiding from it, mm -hmm. running from it, keeping it in the closet, not letting anybody else see what's going on in their life. And then one day you meet them and they're talking about their eating disorders, mm -hmm. like like they would talk about which kind of coffee they want at a coffee shop. They're like, well, there was this one. And then I went here and I'm talking. And so they're going down. But what a juxtaposition though, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a serious change. And what you do is you see something that you're hiding from and you're so fearful of being exposed. And when you find peace with that, with understanding that and opening yourself up, you see so many people mm -hmm. opening up about their eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Women in particular, I think men um, do bury that down mm -hmm. and they don't talk about it. And like you said, it's not limited to women. It's not limited. We, we put these limitations on it and go, oh, that's the face of eating disorders. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's not true. So to, to open up and have a conversation and um, again, male or female, like you're not weak because of these things. So um, I appreciate that. I want to, I want to open this up to 
uh, conversations from people that are listening live. So any of our live listeners that have been that, that have been tuning in and listening to this conversation, I'd like to flip over to Greg and see if Greg, uh, if anybody has any questions for Abby. We actually uh, do have a couple, uh, one coming in from uh, Marissa, who asks, uh, can you discuss ortho orthorexia? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a new concept to her. She hadn't heard of it until maybe two months ago. Is it a real thing? Definitely. Absolutely a real thing. Great question. That is, I think that that's a really great point to the conversation that we were having about that line between compulsion, obsession, must have to, and overall understanding that this might be helpful for my wellness. So orthorexia, for those who don't know, is an obsession with being healthy, in air quotes. And that, again, not, not trying to categorize, not saying that this is a good or bad thing to do, but a lot of times when we see this, people are very set in the types of foods that they'll allow themselves to eat ever um, to the point that they won't go to a restaurant if it doesn't have this to the point that they won't hang out with friends if these foods won't be available and this isn't a medical reason this isn't i can't eat gluten this isn't i can't eat whatever else dairy for true biological health reasons this is dairy is bad, meat is bad, gluten is bad, I will not eat it, whatever that kind of categorization of food is. Um, it's usually in line paired with uh, a lot of exercise, a lot of certain types of exercise. It's a very regimented and controlled to the point of obsession eating disorder. And that was in my repertoire of eating disorders as well. So I know that one well, and it was a, a big pressure and a big identifier for me to connect with being healthy. And it was, I was known as the person that was always drinking this and eating this and working out this way and looking this way. And I liked that identifier. And I felt like that was kind of what we were just talking about again, a strength thing, a pride thing. And I'm a good person. I'm better than you because I am more controlled than you are kind of thing. And that's the same, same conversation, same importance, same relevance. It is dangerous because it is taking away from your quality of life. And it's not allowing you to tune into what feels good or what you enjoy. And I think that in exercise and food, you're missing out on a ton if you're not able to say, I love this type of movement. I love rollerblading. I love dance. I love lifting. I love whatever food that might be. And that is a true quality of life enhancement. That's part of that wellness wheel. And when we deprive completely ourselves of things and activities, we are taking away from that quality of life. Plus, it's just not it's not benefiting you to be that rigid and that controlled. And I think that people think more is more in terms of control, in terms of what you're allowing, allowing yourself to eat, what you're allowing yourself to do in movement. And that's not necessarily true. So educating people on the importance of rest days, on the importance of balance, on the importance of liking what you eat. <laughs> I think that all of right. these are really important. 
So I do find it very interesting, this, this eating disorders, the, the word uh, ortho, mm -hmm. it, that, that suffix or prefix there, um, orthorexia, ortho means straight, like an mm -hmm. orthodontist. Mm -hmm. So uh, ortho straight, um, dentist or dental or dons or your teeth. So you have this straight line. So anorexia, mm -hmm. if you got this kind of like this rigid line, this straight line, that you're not veering from. And I think it's fascinating that um, this has come up, but it has come up because now we've got all of these restricted diets mm -hmm. and they seem, many of the diets seem to work, but they usually work due to a calorie restriction. But you see the, the meat only diet, mm -hmm. you have seen the, the no carb diet, these the people that are on keto that have, um, um, these really strict uh, adherences to keto, people that are on the paleo diet that have these really strict, and, and there are many, many healthy foods that are left out of the a paleo diet because it is the construct of the diet and they just rigidly follow it. They ortholy follow it. They're following it so straight and so strictly. Uh, that can be really, really concerning um, because it can shift into a disorder and it can be a disordered eating. Now I know some people who are like, I like to try a bunch of diets, um, and super healthy fit people that go, I want to experience what people are doing, but they're not strict on a diet. They are trying a diet. They'll try another one, just like trying workouts and they want to see what it does and how they feel. Um, so I find it very, very interesting. I'd never heard of that before, but piecing these things together. It's pretty interesting. Greg, any other question that might be out there? Yeah, Peter wants to know, uh, do you find that there's a consistent red flag that gives you a heads up to start asking those questions that you mentioned earlier? Or do you ask across the board as part of your assessment? Awesome question. So I am very, very tuned into verbiage. <laughs> and I think that that comes, unfortunately, from my history. But there's a lot of really cool resources out there that can help you tune into that verbiage and hear what might be going on. Um, again, things like I was good, I was bad. Um, we, When we take in clients at Clarity Fitness, people come in and we have that initial consultation about what their goals are, what they want out of their movement, out of their new wellness routine. And if they go on a laundry list of things that they hate about their body, that's another sign that they might need some added mindset support in this journey instead of saying, you're right, I see what we could do differently with your butt and your core, let's fix that. It, uh -huh. Let's talk about why that's something that's a trigger point for you. And maybe we don't use those words because, again, people are very sensitive when they feel like we're tapping into their psyche. But you can definitely be like, I don't see anything wrong with your body. Your body is not a bad thing. Your body is nothing that we need to beat up. If you're interested in building strength here and we can check that out when we see your muscle imbalances, we can absolutely do that. And that's going to help your quality of life because XYZ, instead of let's just focus solely on appearance, let's release some of that and bring it into how does that carry over into an efficient and effective and safe movement routine to treat our bodies with respect instead of something that we have to force change upon. Yeah, thank you for that. There's a wonderful 
shift in the fitness industry and many and many components of it that are focusing on overall wellness. And we see that shift towards people working on mobility and people working towards stability. Um, people still do come to us for weight loss goals. Um, you may not get them. And that's, it's just a statement of fact, you may not get those weight loss goals. What I don't want to do is I don't want to discourage people from the weight loss, but what I do want to encourage is the health and wellness and the fitness that goes along with the exercise routines that you're doing and exercise and diet. This is the one, two punch, the exercise and the diet, and let's add sleep in there. So let's throw a hook. So, uh, we're going to add all of these components into your life to increase your fitness, your health, and support other components, other wellness. We know that movement helps with um, a lot of the chemicals in our brain that help to support mental health. So movement is medicine. Exercise is medicine. Uh, your you know, Socrates, let thy food be thy medicine. These are the medicines that are out there that can support you. We can go we can go for weight loss i think people that have weight loss goals it's very nice to have those when indicated um we as personal trainers have to to be careful because we can't necessarily ensure weight loss because if people come to see us for i don't know two times a week and they're 168 hours in the week then who knows what's going to happen but we can support people. And that's what we're here to do. We can support people. Um, some people will get upset maybe that they get weight loss and we want to support you in your process of weight loss. But if I have a client that comes in and they have these weight loss goals and I'm looking at them and, and this bothers me too, because I used to, I used to, to train a lot of people that were models in New York city and they would be sent to me by the agency to lose weight. And I'm looking at these women and I'm like, no, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's weird, right? Because uh, it, it is their job and they get paid well for it. Maybe like, uh, you know, somebody that gains weight to be able to play football. But if you gain weight, you're making your body healthier. In this instance, they are literally becoming less healthy mm -hmm. to do something. Now I try not to cast judgment on that because I'm not the person going, oh, Tom Hanks, when you lost all that weight to go talk to Wilson on the island, then that's super bad for you. And it's super bad for Christian Bale to lose all that weight. Everybody knows that's super bad. They knew it was bad for them, but they did it. But they did it for an event and left it. What I don't want is to shift people into a mindset and a lifestyle that this is who they want to be. Mm -hmm. Now. I was torn. I'm going to tell you, when I was working with uh, the, the models, um, I was really torn about the situation. And I said, I will do my best to work to help you be healthier. Mm -hmm. If you lose weight in addition to it, that is not my intent, but it is an, a, an outcome that's associated with it. But if you are to lose weight, you are not going to be less healthy for it. So I'm um, trying to create balance in a very unbalanced situation. Um, and that's still, I don't know if that's the right answer. Uh, and ended up being to the point where I had, uh, well, the, the modeling agency that I was working with cut ties with me and stopped referring people because I had such a hard time 
telling women that were 5'11 and weighed 120 pounds that they needed to lose weight. Mm. I had a hard time with that. It was a good gig. It's a good gig for me while it lasted. It was not a good gig though. Mm-hmm. It was great financially. It I did it just I couldn't I couldn't get behind it. Had a really hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. With that said, uh, Greg, any other questions out there? Uh, yeah, there was one other here. Let me pull it up. Peter wants to know. Oh, actually, that's the one. I I'll actually ask this one out of out of curiosity myself. For uh, if, if there is somebody that, that that's watching that may fall into one of these categories, Abby, do you have uh, one piece of advice or, or some words of encouragement that uh, that you would like to share with somebody that may be facing it? Definitely. That's an awesome question. Thank you so, so much. I would say for me, the big piece that completely shifted my relationship with myself, it's actually plastered all over our gym, but it's the words, I am enough. And I think mm-hmm. that if we can internalize those words and really start to or take a step in the direction of believing that, that's life-changing. And I think that that's so true, so valid of everyone. And if we can really, really get to that place and it takes time and it's not a, I've decided this is true and I'm never going to waver from this. It comes in flux and it is there and it's not some days and it's there for some minutes and not some minutes. But if you can take steps toward believing that and start to treat yourself and your body like that is fact, that is a game changer. And that's what we believe for people, whether they've struggled or not. But I just can't say enough about how much that gave me permission to release and to rest sometimes and be kinder to myself. And health became something that was light and friendly and welcoming and not something that I felt embarrassed by if I wasn't doing enough or working hard enough or controlled enough or lean enough or strong enough. It was just something that felt enough and it was so empowering and so game changing. So that's, that's a really big piece of advice for those who might be struggling, those who are starting to slip into feeling like it is all or nothing or very, tough or daunting to go to the gym or not do what they might have set out and now that's really really frustrating them or breaking them down um i would love 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 to talk to anyone who might be open to reaching out anyone who has any questions about clients i like to say it's not if you've worked with someone with an eating disorder but which client you currently have that has one it's a it's 30 million people in the united states alone and that's a big chunk of the population and we don't talk about this enough there's that word but it's really important that we do pay attention and it could be it could be you it could be the person who's on the line right now that just feels so frustrated with not having achieved this weight loss goal that they set out to achieve or not having achieved this new pr that they wanted and i think that just being open to checking in and giving yourself credit and giving yourself grace because you are enough is so important for everyone so if there's ever any time that they anyone wants to reach out or your client might want to reach out please 
let them know. I don't know. Is it appropriate for me to share my email or anything? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Perfect. So my email is Abby, A-B-B-E-Y at clarityfitness.com. And I am on my email all the time. So I'm happy to respond to anything, any questions. There are no stupid questions. Um, and I'm more than happy to get you connected with some referrals of different care providers that might be helpful. Um, IADEP.com is a really good resource base. Um, there are lots of different healthcare providers on there as well as NEDA and EDA. Um, so you could definitely start there for people in your area and see if that's a helpful resource. And I'm more than happy to be emailed before or after checking out those. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. I, you are enough. Yes, you, you are, are enough. <laughs> I have a, a friend of mine named Nick Paggs, who was a keynote speaker at my friend Jess Glazier's event for women and, and entrepreneurship in New York City. And um, it was uh, it was entitled You Are Enough. He was uh, it was amazing speech and uh, or keynote presentation. And it kind of speaks to this. And I will say this, the all or nothing approach is not enough right all or nothing is not enough um it's just it's too focused one way or the other um it's it's hard to survive in that world of all or nothing and and that's really like the levy breaks and I, I know this with binge uh eating people where they try to really restrict and then they binge and they really restrict and they binge um i know it with fitness that you just can't do everything and doing small things, mm -hmm. small changes mean a lot. Mm -hmm. And what it starts to do is small changes shift mindset. And mindset is really what we're looking at here. And so I want to support everybody as much as you can. Um, small changes and be okay with the small changes because the big, big changes in life um, those can be really difficult to, to do. It's like taking a giant pill at once. Sometimes you gotta break it down to smaller pieces and you might think, well, whatever that pill that you took is not enough. And it will be, it will be enough. So you gotta work your way up to it, just like exercise, like anything else. Um, and some people with exercise get personal trainers. Some people that are having issues with, with eating get support with that. And so I encourage you to consider it, to think about it, to reach out to Abby. And Abby, thank you for being willing to today, one, be on the show, for sharing your information with us and, and this platform, and then giving your contact information for anybody who may be struggling or concerned or just have questions, whatever, like just to, to reach out and, and chat. So uh, also, if there's any social media that you have that you may want to share, then you can do that as well. Absolutely. My personal Instagram is abbygriff.fit. So A-B-B-E-Y-G-R-I-F dot F-I-T. And then our gym page is Clarity Decatur. And that's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the things. Come check us out. I love it. Body positive fitness yeah. with Clarity. Thank you so much, Abby. My name is Rick Ritchie. You can reach out to me, rick.ritchie, R-I-C-H-E-Y at nasm.org or uh, on Instagram where I'm most active at dr.rickritchie. Thank you so much. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.